the world did Daniel's voice get so low? How did that happen? Was anybody else singing David and Goliath while they sang? I, I, I had lots of thoughts, but uh, most of them were good other than the David and Goliath thing, but that was a blessing, and I appreciate that, gentlemen. Thank you so much. We use our Bibles a bit tonight, so if you'll have them uh, handy. Uh, on a historical timeline, around the year 590 B.C., the armies of Nebuchadnezzar had come to Jerusalem and surrounded it, but they didn't stay long. Uh, the king of, of Israel was able to get a message to the king of Egypt, and uh, Pharaoh, he was called Pharaoh Necho, uh, sent his armies up, and as soon as Nebuchadnezzar saw that the Egyptian army was on their way, he changed his mind and scattered and went elsewhere for a while, and there was this little bit of a breathing space that happened. All of that time, Jeremiah was a prophet, lived in the city of Jerusalem. He had warned them that judgment was coming, uh, he had warned them that Babylon was going to be the tool that God used to judge uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah. Uh, in chapter 37, it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to separate himself thence in the midst of the people. Benjamin is the area that Jeremiah grew up in, a little town called Anathoth. Um, Jeremiah realized the people in Jerusalem, they weren't going to listen to him, and he was just going to go home. And uh, so the, the Babylon, Babylonian army was gone, and he's leaving to go back home. When he was in the gate of Benjamin, verse 13, a captain of the ward was there whose name was Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, and he took Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Uh, there were people that believed because Jeremiah was prophesying in the name of the Lord that Babylon would be the tool of God's judgment against them, that Jeremiah was a Babylonian sympathizer. And when this guy saw Jeremiah leaving, Jeremiah was just going home to Benjamin. They falsely accused him uh, that he was uh, uh, going to the Chaldeans. Jeremiah said in verse 14, it is false. I fall not away to the Chaldeans, but he hearkened not unto him. So Arijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Wherefore, the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in the prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. Um, Jeremiah gets in prison for, uh, uh, they considered it treason. The Bible says they smote him. We're not sure what that entailed. We're not to, sure what, to what extent that they beat him. But this is the man of God suffering wrongfully uh, at the hands of the princes of Judah. And he's in a prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe. They'd made that the town jail. Uh, and so forth, and uh, he was there for a long time. The Bible said in verse 16, when he was entered into the dungeon, so they put him in the worst place they could find in the jail and into the cabins, and Jeremiah had remained there many days. We don't know how long he was there. It, it was just many days, and life is difficult for Jeremiah. And at that point, something unusual happened. The king called for Jeremiah. Zedekiah was the king's name, and we read the story. He sent and took him out and uh, asked him secretly. Now, Zedekiah was not a good guy. Uh, he was the last king of Judah. Um, he was a rebellious man, and he, he just repeatedly refused to listen to the voice of God, and, and he and his nation suffered because of that. But the king was uh, 
in spite of all of his flaws, he knew that Jeremiah was an honest man. And he knew that Jeremiah was a godly man. He may not have agreed with what Jeremiah had to say, but he, but he knew that Jeremiah knew the Lord. And he brought him out and secretly, and it's just a one-on-one -on -one meeting, and he said, is there any word from the Lord? Uh, he was hoping for a word of hope, that, that God was maybe changing his mind. Uh, they hadn't changed the way they lived, but they wanted God to change his mind. Isn't that kind of usually the way it is? Uh, we want to keep doing our own thing, but we want God to change him, himself, and that's not how it's going to happen. Jeremiah said, there is, there is, for thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And uh, it wasn't a good word, uh, but, but Zedekiah knew Jeremiah will at least tell him the truth. Even if I don't like it, I know it'll be the truth. And then Jeremiah asked the king, he said, why am I in prison? What have I done wrong? How have I offended? What laws have I broken? Uh, I, I'm in this prison. You understand, I'm going to die there. Uh, so he makes a request of King Zedekiah in verse 20. Oh, my Lord, the king, let my supplication, I pray thee, be accepted before thee, that thou cause me not to return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. They'd already beaten him. They'd already put him in the worst place there that they could. They had nothing but evil uh, in plan, in mind for him. And so Jeremiah is appealing to the king saying, please don't put me back there. And the king gave him an answer. The king's answer was, I'm going to put you in another prison. That's what it says in verse 21. Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah into the court of the prison. That's in the king's palace. Um, and that's where he's going to be. And the Bible ends this chapter. Thus, Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. If the timeline as we understand it, uh, if we're understanding correctly, Jeremiah stayed in, in this place called the court of the prison for the next three years. Nebuchadnezzar's army came back, besieged the city for a three-year period. Uh, during which there was famine and pestilence. And finally, in 586 B.C., in May, on the ninth day of the month, the city was destroyed and overrun. And Jeremiah spent the last three years of his ministry in Jerusalem in this place called the court of the prison. Jeremiah was asking for release. He was asking for reprieve. He was asking for help. And what he got was the court of the prison. That's not what he was asking for. Um, it, it's sometimes we ask the Lord for things, don't we? And, and we think, Lord, I need this, I need that. And it seems like God gives us the exact opposite of what we've asked for. Um, the apostle Paul was smitten with a thorn in the flesh, uh, in second Corinthians chapter 12. And he asked the Lord to deliver him from it, take it away from me. And God's answer was no, absolutely not. I'm the one that allowed you to get that thing. Um, and we sometimes don't understand why, why God allows, allows a situation to seemingly go from bad to worse. Jeremiah was talking to the one man who could set him free. And instead of doing that, the king put him in a place called the court of the prison. In life, we find ourselves in situations beyond our control that to us remind us very much of a prison. It's a place we'd rather not be. It's a place we would never choose for ourselves. And the truth of the matter is we wouldn't choose it even for our own worst enemy uh, if we were honest about it. But yet there we are. And we ask God to change that. We ask God to take us out of that. 
And God just says no. And we are there and we find ourselves uh, in a situation feeling exactly like Jeremiah must have felt in, in our own court of the prison. But if you read through the book of Jeremiah, you find out that the court of the prison wasn't the, wasn't the uh, curse that it first appeared to be. In fact, the court of the prison was uh, the safest place and the best place for Jeremiah that he could possibly have been in the city of Jerusalem for those entire three years. You say, how could that be? How could the court of the prison be a good thing? Well, let me, let me notice, help you notice a couple things about it. Uh, let's just start in the chapter we're at, chapter 37 and verse 21. Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah into the court of the prison and notice this, and that they should give him daily a piece of bread out of the Baker Street until all the bread in the city were spent. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. This prison, this wasn't what Jeremiah had in mind. Jeremiah had freedom in mind, but instead it was the court of the prison. But by the king's decree in that prison, in the king's palace, Jeremiah was going to be fed as long as there was one scrap of bread left in the city. That was by the decree of the king. You understand in times of famine, in times of difficulty and so forth, in the palace there's always food. There's always plenty. There's always a feast. God was taking care of Jeremiah. I don't know how long it took Jeremiah to catch on to this, but you realize outside of the prison, it was every man for himself. If you read the book of Lamentations that Jeremiah wrote after he was finally freed and he saw what happened out there, there was not only the carnage that the Babylonian army uh, committed when they finally broke through the city walls and gates, but there was the abject poverty and famine and pestilence, and he saw things that he would never have been able to imagine. Uh, people, I, I don't mean to be in, inappropriate or, or whatever, uh, but, but uh, people were eating their own children. They were that hungry. Um, in some cases, I, I did some study on this uh, with some of the history of this particular siege of Jerusalem and, and the aftermath and so forth. Uh, in some cases, parents were not waiting for their children to die. They were killing their children and eating them. In their minds, they are ending their child's suffering and they are prolonging their own lives. Uh, they'd eaten every animal they could find. They'd eaten every bird that landed. Uh, they, they were eating dung, for lack of a better term, uh, and all of that. That's what was on the outside of the city. Had Jeremiah been set free and living out there, that's how Jeremiah would have fended. He would have possibly starved to death with the tens of thousands of others of his people that did so. But in the court of the prison, he didn't have, he didn't have caviar and filet mignon, but he had bread every day. That was more than he would have had outside the walls. He wasn't fighting for other people to get it. He wasn't worried about getting knifed because he had bread and somebody wanted it. Every day, by the decree of the king, he had his needs provided for him. We often read of miracles in the Bible. It's one of the things I like to read about. They encourage me as to the power of Almighty God, what God can do. Our theme song uh, chorus this month is, Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. 
we're going to walk through the Bible in the next uh, week or two, and we're going to look at the various times that that very statement was made. Uh, but you realize with all the miracles, whether it's the parting of the Red Sea, the feeding of the 5,000, the casting out of a demon, uh, all of the miracles in the Bible, almost every time, we're talking like 99% of the time, the miracles in the Bible were the, were the response of God to somebody's tragedy, to somebody's crisis. Somebody had their back against the wall. Someone was in their own private court of the prison or sometimes collectively, they were starving, they were sick. Uh, a woman, sick for 12 years, spent all of her living on doctors and at the, at the end was worse than she started out with. Uh, you read it time after time from Genesis all the way through the end of the Bible when God stepped in and worked a miracle is because somebody had a crisis. You also realize the flip side of that, had there been no crisis, they would have had no miracle. They would have never seen what God could do. Keeping your place in Jeremiah, can I ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? The court of the prison was a place of provision. 2 Corinthians 12 was where Paul shares the testimony of the thorn in the flesh. And he says in verse number 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I asked God to take it away. It's his own personal court of the prison. It's some thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it, it must have been bad. And Paul, who prayed for the healing of others, who laid his hands on others and brought healing to them through the power of God, asked the same God to heal him, and God said no. He said, but my grace is sufficient. My grace is all that you need. And Paul accepted that and, and understood the wisdom of God in that. I, I want you to know, that 2 Corinthians is not a prison epistle. That was in Paul's future. Uh, after Paul penned these words, you realize that that same man was going to stand in front of Nero in Rome and share the gospel message to Nero. He was going to preach the word of God to all of Nero's court and to all of the palace in Rome. He would write later in Philippians chapter 1 that everybody in the palace is talking about Jesus Christ. Um, that's, that's a man who has a thorn in the flesh. Uh, that is a man who has some kind of a physical disability that he, it, it, at first he thought this hinders me from serving God, but it made him so dependent on God and God's grace flowed through him. Here's this man with his physical disability standing in front of Nero sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Nero didn't get saved, but other people in that palace did. And other believers in that palace got challenged in their own Christian life. You see, Paul's court of the prison was the place where God was going to come through with such power in his life and use him for greater things than Paul had even already seen done. Going back to Jeremiah's story, the court of the prison was the place of God's provision. Every miracle is God's response to somebody's tragedy or crisis. Um, Remember that the next time you're in the place and it's hard and rough and you want out of there, you realize 
you're in a place where you get to see God do something that you wouldn't otherwise. Um, I, I, I'm sure you get tired of hearing it, and, and I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Get used to it. But uh, on, my, on my left side, um, I, am, I am nearing the $150,000 mark of hardware and technology that God's provided in the last three years of my life. Uh, with the foot that I just got, it's well over 150,000. Um, in in, uh, in um, October, uh, I guess it was when I went down to Nashville, uh, I got an entire new prosth uh, prosthetic device and so forth. Uh, that was another 30,000. Um, and I could just go on and on and I haven't paid a dime. I was supposed to pay 50% of that. I haven't paid a dime. I've paid zero. Um, I, I, and, and by the way, have you ever tried to get the insurance company to pay something for you? Sometimes you have to jump through hoops and, and months and months of wrangling. I didn't have to do anything. You say, what's that all about? That's just God saying, I, son, I just thought you'd be in a prison because I wanted you to see how big I am. I just wanted you to see what I can do. And Jeremiah... He's, that's not the answer he wanted from Zedekiah, but, but as time went on, and especially the day that he eventually walked out of that prison, he saw, wow, and all that time I was upset about being in the prison, but I had bread, and look at the emaciating carcasses of all these people who died of starvation, and I had bread. I guess the prison wasn't such a bad place after all. But not only that, the prison was a place of protection. Jonathan, this guy that had, had uh, made a prison in his house, the princes of Judah, they hated Jeremiah. The false prophets uh, that, that were gathered in Jerusalem, they hated Jeremiah. Uh, they had gone after him time after time after time. Uh, and, and Jeremiah knew if he'd have stayed in that house of Jonathan where they had made the town prison, he would have died there and they would have made sure that it was an agonizing death. They hated this man. When Zedekiah said, I'm gonna commit you to the court of the prison, that's not what Jeremiah wanted, but he didn't realize the prison that didn't let him out also didn't let, him, let them in. They couldn't get at him. There was no way uh, that that was possible. And so they could rage all they wanted, but they couldn't undo the word of the king. And as long as Jeremiah stayed in the court of the prison, Jeremiah was safe. It was a place of protection. We read in 2 Corinthians 12 about this thorn in the flesh that Paul was given. The, I, I don't know if you noticed it. I'm going to go back there. You don't have to. I didn't tell you to save your place. Uh, but uh, I'm going to go back there. Paul is writing about this after the fact. He, he's telling the story. And when he introduces it, he said in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In the same verse, two times, he says, I got this thorn in the flesh so I wouldn't get exalted above measure. I wouldn't get proud. I wouldn't get a big head. Paul was well known. Paul was mightily used of God. And sometimes the flesh steps in when God's actually the one that's done the work and the flesh says, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty big stuff. And God doesn't work with pride. God, God hates pride. 
Um, he, he won't deal with it at all. So God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him from getting proud. That thorn protected him from pride. Sometimes that, that difficulty in our lives, we look at it as our enemy, but understand this, if God allowed it, it's not really our enemy. God has a reason for it. Fanny Crosby, born and raised in the state of Connecticut, born not very far from here. Uh, Fanny Crosby, a prolific songwriter in her day, most famous song uh, that she penned uh, was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. I believe she penned to God be the glory, great things he has done. Uh, there's a church in Brooklyn, the 6th Avenue Baptist Church, uh, that I've preached at a number of times. Fanny Crosby and the pastor there, Robert Lowry, were good friends. And uh, they actually composed together some of the songs that are in our songbook. Uh, we're marching to Zion and, and several other things. Uh, Fanny Crosby uh, was an amazing uh, poet. Uh, she, was, she was actually famous in her day and age in the 1800s. Uh, very talented, very, very talented singer uh, and, and so forth. Somebody asked Fanny Crosby if she uh, ever resented the fact that she had become blind when she was still uh, as, a, as a toddler. Uh, she was not born that way. It was a, a, a guy who was a phony doctor uh, who, who uh, did some things to her when she, was, when she had an eye infection that caused permanent blindness. And someone asked her, do you ever resent that doctor? Do you ever wish ill upon him? Do you ever get mad at God for allowing you to become blind? It, it was that type of questioning and Fanny Crosby gave the most amazing answer to that. She said, I want to thank God with every fiber of my being that I am blind. I have no memory of sight. I have no memory of color. I, I have no memory of what my parents' faces looked like. She, she was just in, uh, barely out of infancy when it happened to her. She said, I, I thank God that I am blind. And they said, how can you be thankful for being blind? She said, because I think that if I could see with all the talents that I have that God gave to me, I might have been tempted to use those talents for myself. And I would have gone out and just spent my talents entertaining the lost world. And I would have been concerned about fame and popularity and the fortune that it brings. But instead, it has just brought me closer to God and everything that I do, I have to depend on God. And she said, furthermore, I'm glad that I was made blind as a young child because the first face that I will ever see will be the face of my Savior. And how good is that? Um, very few people can be in a situation such as her to say, I'm glad I'm blind. But Fanny Crosby understood Jeremiah, that wasn't the answer that he wanted from the king to be sent into the court of the prison, but that place became not only a place of protection or a provision, but of a place of protection. Turn back to chapter 33. Jeremiah is a unique book in the fact that it's not chronological in all of its details. It bounces back and forth. Jeremiah chapter 33. Moreover, verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time while he was yet shut up where? In the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, 
and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The court of the prison became a place of prayer. It became a place of prayer. I can't talk about your experience, but I know in my own that the court of the prison, I always pray more. I always pray more fervently. I always pray more purely. Because you see, the court of the prison is where I start saying, Lord, am I here because of something I've done? Lord, am I being chastened? And I start letting God search my heart, and that's where I want to make sure everything's right. And I, I pray more diligently. I pray more often. And it was in the, in, the, in the place of the prison, the Lord just opened to Jeremiah the prayer promise. We sing it as a scripture song. Most all of us can quote it, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, I don't know why uh, it takes the court of the prison to get us to pray, but we are flesh and we are human, and sometimes God has to put us in a place where we can't burst out. We can't get away from there, and we pray. Can I guarantee you one thing? I, I think Stan and, and, and uh, Fran Graff are uh, godly people. I think they're people of prayer. But I can guarantee you something. Their prayers became a whole lot more uh, fervent in the last year when COVID struck them and when, when that dear lady was uh, fighting for life in the hospital. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we don't want something like that to happen, but when you see God answer the prayer... I got the text from him. I've saved them all. I look back through those. Uh, to God be the glory, great things he's done. Uh, we pray better there in the court of the prison. And Jeremiah got one of the greatest prayer promises of the Bible handed to him. And isn't it amazing how out of all of that experience, Jeremiah 33.3 is, is almost like the shining star that came out of that place. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a happy place for Jeremiah for the most part. Uh, he, he, I, I'm not sure he understood all of those things, but here's the voice of God coming to him in the court of the prison saying, just talk to me, call unto me. I, I'll explain things. I'll show you things that you can't even imagine. The court of the prison was a place of prayer. There's another thing about the court of the prison. It was a place of praise. It was a place of praise. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter Number 32, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. He's been in the prison, according to a timeline, about two years now, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadrezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up where? In the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. So we know he's been there now for about a year. And he's, he's not seen any change in his circumstances. And, and he's not getting out. And, you know, it's one thing to have a bad day. Anybody here ever have a bad day? Okay. We can generally survive a bad day. But when that bad day becomes a bad month, and that bad month becomes a, a bad year, it gets a little old. And anybody with me on that? Uh, we get a little tired of that. We want, we want things, can you, Lord, can you just speed this up just a little bit for me? Uh, he's been there for a year. And then an amazing thing happened. Uh, verse number six, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle shall come unto thee saying, buy thee my field that is in Anathoth for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. 
Where is Jeremiah? In the court of the prison. Does Jeremiah need a field? What's he going to do with the field? Can Jeremiah get to his field? Yes or no? No, the king of Babylon's armies are back. They're surrounding the city. The city is under siege. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, I want you, he said, I want you to understand, uh, your uncle's going to come to you and say, There's a, I got a field for sale. I want you to buy it from him. It, it, you have the right of redemption. You're the next male relative in line, and I want you to buy that field. And uh, it, so they brought, they brought uh, everybody into the prison, uh, all the legal deals, you know, the notary public and all those type of things. And uh, they, they, they dickered on the price and decided on that. Uh, they, they wrote a legal document and had it sealed. And, and uh, I don't know where Jeremiah came up with the money for it, but he paid for it uh, and so forth. And now Jeremiah in the court of the prison is the possessor of a field like what, what kind of sense does that make? Um, then God says to Jeremiah, says, okay, I want you to take those court documents and I want you to put them inside of an earthen jar and seal it so they can survive many days. How many have ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? How many have ever heard of them? They were found in a cave in the Qumran Desert uh, containing many of the books, almost a complete a copy of the book of Isaiah and so forth, and they were sealed in earthen jars. And the jars that remained intact, the scrolls inside, survived nearly 2,000 years uh, of, of history uh, because of that. God said, I want you to take these documents and I want you to put them in there. Give them to Baruch. He is your scribe, your, your personal secretary, and I want you to have him go bury this somewhere. He said, because I want you to understand, the day's going to come when Jewish people are going to buy and sell land in the land of Israel again. Oh, yeah, they're going to go into captivity, but I'm bringing them back. I promised this land to Abraham and his seed for an everlasting possession, and that's exactly what it's going to be. By the way, I still believe that is true. I believe the land of Israel still belongs to the Jewish people and always will. That's God's promise and God's plan. And uh, so God's telling Jeremiah to do this, not because Jeremiah is going to actually go out and, and enjoy the field and maybe plant a garden or a vineyard or something like that. It was a promise that God had a future for his people. Uh, look, if you would, please, in uh, verse number 16. Now, when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, Behold, thou hast made the, the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompenses the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And he just goes on in this praise to God uh, because he got a promise there and he, he, he understands that God has a plan and God has a future for his people. He's in the court of the prison, folks. And he is praising God and he is recognizing there's nothing too hard for God. Same chapter, look at verse 26. Verse number 26, 
Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah. Anybody want to guess where he is? He's in the court of the prison and he's still hearing from God. I don't know how many times I've been at some low, low, low point, And that's when God spoke the loudest, the clearest. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Can anybody here answer that question? Is there anything too hard for God? No. Um, we just sang about that. That's our chorus of the month. You realize he's in the court of the prison. And when Zedekiah the king responded to Jeremiah's request, don't send me back to the house of Jonathan to that prison. I will die there. The king said, you're right. I'm not. I'm going to put you in the court of the prison in my palace. That isn't what Jeremiah had in mind. But, but God had something real good in mind for his prophet. Because for the next three years, Jeremiah would be safe from all those who wanted to kill him. Jeremiah would have bread every day for those three years, even while people out there were, were either eating things more vile than for, for, for us to comprehend or just dying of starvation. He was being fed. That was the place that Jeremiah was going to get to talk to God and had that open-ended promise, call unto me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. And then he gets this promise that God has a future, even for these people that have turned their back on God. I, 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 I'm running out of time, but part of Jeremiah's rejoicing in the Lord is, is there's going to come a day when the Jewish people were going to be back in their land, and here's what they would sing. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. You thought that was only in Psalm 107.1. Jeremiah was talking about it from the court of the prison. The whole purpose of this tonight is for us to understand that sometimes in life, we don't get our way. Things don't turn out the way we thought they should. And they become difficult and hard when we don't understand them. Rather than get angry with the Lord... Sometimes we need to stay, take a step back. We just say, okay, Lord, can you show me? Show me what's going on. You realize at some point God showed Paul why he had a thorn in the flesh. At some point, he showed him why. At some point, God showed Jeremiah because Jeremiah wrote it down at the hand of the Lord. And it's in Jeremiah's story about the court of the prison is put in the Bible for our admonition when we find ourselves there that's not the time to give up that's not the time to get angry that's not the time to to become despondent that's the time to get a hold of God that's the time that maybe we just sort of say Lord could you open my eyes so that I can see what's going on in second Kings I believe it's chapter 7 there's the story of the prophet Elisha Elisha had been given away the battle plans of the king of Syria. And every time the king of Syria tried to attack Israel, he, he got foiled because Elisha already knew the plans God was telling him. The king of Syria found out about what Elisha was doing. And in the middle of the night, he sent his army to surround this little tiny village called Dothan. That's the town where Elisha the prophet lived. And they came in the cover of darkness uh, with the intent that when daylight came, 
you know, they were, they were just going to get rid of this prophet and so forth. Well, Elisha's servant would have been the first one up. His job would, you know, get, get the fire going for breakfast, get some clean water in. And when his servant walked out, he looked around and where he saw was this massive army surrounding the town. He came running back in the house going, Alas, master, alas, master, what should we do? What should we do? He, he's freaking out. He's probably running around in circles and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Elisha just said, chill. Did he really say chill? It's in the Hebrew. You have to really study it out. But he said, he said, fear not. He said, for there, there be more with us than with them. And so Gehazi's looking, going, one, two. And he's looking out there, one, two, three, four. And he's saying, he's saying well, how can this be? There's two of us, there's an army. And he's not getting any answer at all. And so Elisha just simply says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And at that moment, God opened the eyes of that servant and he could see what, uh, what, what wasn't uh, normally seeable, and that's the angels of God, chariots of God, just surrounding the city of Dothan, uh, just marching around there in between the army of the king of Syria. And for the first time, that, uh, that servant realized, wow, I guess we're, in a, we're okay. God's there. You do know the angel of the Lord encampeth round about those that fear him. Beloved when you find yourself in the court of the prison, I know it's hard. I don't minimize that at all. But I want you to understand that doesn't mean that God took off and left you to struggle. He's there as much as he's ever been. And you'll find if you'll stay true and faithful to God that that court of the prison is going to become the place of your highest praise. Your highest praise you got to stay faithful. He's faithful. You be faithful. Father, thank you for the...